Welcome to the My Personal Football Coach Youth Soccer Player Development Podcast, episode 37 with Michael Hamilton. Welcome to MyPersonalFootballCoach.com's Soccer Player Development Podcast. Discover all the secrets, hints and tips about soccer player development and soccer coaching from some of the leading figures in world soccer. Here's your host, Saul Isaacson-Hurst. Hi guys, welcome back to another show. Uh, before we get into this week's guest, just want to say uh, a big welcome to Chicago Rush Soccer, uh, who have just uh, joined soccer clubs all around the world, uh, becoming a club partner. So all their players will get access to the uh, to the My Personal Football Coach app. All the coaches get on the app as well. Also, all the coaches get access to the uh, to the coaches pass, the online resource to support coaches. So really, uh, really proud to welcome Chicago Rush Soccer. Uh, on, on into the uh, my personal football coach family and uh, you know supporting them taking player development and coach development to the next level a uh, big couple of months for me i'm out in singapore um in the next in, in the beginning of april uh, looking forward to connecting to uh, many people out there if you want to connect just drop me a line also i'm in los angeles uh, in in may and um, potentially San Diego as well, all around in California there, all up the West Coast. So if you're, if you're a coach at a club, you want to connect or just chat, let me know. I'd be more than happy just to sit down, have a coffee and, and talk football. Uh, big movements on the app, got a real, some massive developments going on uh, to, to really improve um, the user, user experience on the, on the uh, My Personal Football Coach app and also the, uh, the, the uh, club partnership as well. And thanks everyone for the, uh, for the feedback we're getting from the My Personal Football Coach level one um, course, the e-learning course, uh, ball mastery and 1v1 and small sided games. Uh, appreciate all the messages getting there, how, how, uh, how productive it's been for you guys uh, supporting your, your knowledge and effective use of 1v1 and ball mastery in your sessions. You know, these are the real key pillars of technical soccer in all the top academies uh, in, in, in world football. So, so that's great. And, and remember, look, if, you, if you are enjoying the, the show, please do leave a review. Uh, it really does help uh, and we really appreciate it. Now, into the show, uh, we've got a great guest. Uh, it's Michael Hamilton who's head of coaching at AFC Wimbledon. Uh, I know Michael for, for several years now and uh, been following uh, the work they do down there. They do some really interesting stuff down there, uh, really um, outperforming in terms of the size of their club they are. They're real innovators and uh, Michael's got some real great knowledge and experience to share about you know his work down, down at that club. So this is a really great, great addition. I'm sure you're gonna enjoy it. And uh, remember, any feedback you've got from it, uh, any comments, please do leave. Uh, it's all appreciated. Uh, without further ado, though, let's get into the show. So, Michael Hamilton, welcome to the show. Thank you. Uh, can you just give a brief uh, description of your playing and coaching background up to this point? Um, yeah, my playing background wasn't that great, if I'm honest. Um, when I was a kid, I played for uh, Fulham Development, um, which is you know basically community staff. I never really got involved into football until a little bit later. Um, and then I played at a few non-league clubs, um, yeah, and at about 19, 20, when I realised I wasn't going to play at the level I wanted to play at, um, I got into coaching. So, um, yeah, my early coaching role was just normal, you know, FA level one, in schools, after school clubs, and I got in contact, a very good friend of mine um, got in contact with myself, and we were offered the opportunity to potentially go to Luton. Um, this was on the basis of us completing our level two and you know committing to Luton. So, yeah, we was in the process of potentially starting for Luton, and within that period, the person who was sorting us out a job at Luton went across to Mill. So, it, within a week, I've gone from potentially going to Luton to starting off at Mill. So, I started off at Mill back in 2006, 2007, I believe, um, working with the development centres at the nines and tens and. I kind of realised that if I'm going to try and pursue an, a, a career in this industry, that I need experience with the older age groups. So at the time, Wimbledon were a non-league club, and I contacted Wimbledon and said I'm happy to volunteer my time as long as it's with the older age groups. So around 2008, I joined Wimbledon on a voluntary basis, um, whilst still being employed at Millwall. And I was part-time Millwall, part-time Wimbledon, um, assisting the under-18s. I was involved in some of the age group um, age group teams 
and in 2011 when the club went up to the football league from the conference I was offered a full-time job so then I left Millwall and I've been at Wimbledon full-time since 2011. Wow, so tell us about your, the different roles you've had since 2011 at the club. So my first, um, first full-time role at the club I was looking after the college academy which is the football and education programme and assisting the under-18s as well as I think at the time probably overseeing in age groups like the 13s or 14s or something. Um, so yeah, over the course of the week I would go from the 18s to the 13s, 14s and in the daytime be with the college academy. Um, I had done that for a couple of years, then I became lead youth phase coach which meant I oversaw the under 13s to under 16s age groups and then in 2017 when, well, yeah, end of 2016, beginning of 2017, when it became clear that the head of coaching role was going to come into academies and into clubs, I became the academy head of coaching in 2017. So then just give us a little bit of uh, an idea of your role then as head of coaching. What's your, you know, give us an idea, you know, a, a typical week of what, you, what you're doing. Um, it can be quite um, up and down, very busy. You do a bit of everything. Um, but obviously as head of coaching, I oversee the player development programme and the coach development programme in the club. Obviously, when I got into the role, these things were already in place. And as I had always been involved in the club anyway, I was very much aware of the programmes that were in place. So it's quite an easy transition for me. Um, but yeah, a, a, a working week can be very, it, it ranges from week to week. So, you, you know, so I'm supporting and assisting coaches in their development. Last night, for example, I was taking the position specific stuff in the youth phase. Naturally, with, a, with an academy the size of us, you know, where we haven't got the most coaches and the most resources. If a coach is unavailable for whatever reason and he's covering, um, it's usually myself that it covers. Um, yeah, I sit in a lot of multidiscipline meetings, you know, just trying to build the, the curriculum and the programming in other areas such as sports science, performance analysis. So it, it ranges quite a lot from week to week, if I'm honest. And alongside that, I've got my head of coaching program, which basically means, you know, once every two, three months, I go away and am developed within my role to hopefully bring back the expertise and the knowledge that I gain back into the club. So yeah, it's, it's pretty, it, it changes week to week. So who does that development? Is that with the uh, Football League or Premier League? So the head of coaching programme is a Premier League programme. So I think you go back a few years, off, where I forget came from, I think Premier League looked at England compared to its, um, you know, its counterparts. So, you know, Germany, Spain. And I think the general consensus was our football is a little bit behind theirs, so I think they, their biggest drive to try and improve football in this country was to try and pick someone specifically in each academy to develop the coaches, which would in turn develop the players. So that happened around 2016, um, yeah, and it's driven by the Premier League, so the Premier, it's a Premier League funded role and their aim is to have a head of coaching in every academy. However, because it's funded, some clubs naturally don't need the funding. So I think their target is to have 92 heads of coaches in the 92 Premier League, um, in the 92 professional clubs. And I think they're up to 70 something. Um, some clubs, like your Chelsea's and, and, and other clubs, they already have someone in that role, even though they might not be called head of coaching. Um, but you know, for clubs where the funding is not important, they might not have someone specifically carrying out the same duties as myself, but would have a very similar role. So then talk about that then, your role day to day, thinking, you know, what, um, you know, how does that work? So, you know, you're there to develop the coaches. Yeah. So how does that work in practice? How do you, how do you develop these coaches? So we tend to have coaches who are at the beginning of their pathway, you know, so they're slightly younger, probably a little bit inexperienced, which is, which, which is something we're proud of, you know. Um, so when we recruit coaches, we're looking very much for the personalities of each person and you know have they got the growth to develop in the way that you know can assist and aid our program so when they come in the door well so just talk about that then so where do you recruit from where do you look where do you look for your coaches it ranges really we've got good partnerships and good relationships with coaching companies you know so any young exciting coaches that come up on our radar you know it's my job to go and you know build those relationships and go and technically scout these coaches um, we we get a lot of applicants, as you can imagine. People want to be involved in academy football. That in itself can be quite a battle because you, you know you get some varied CVs. Well, that because that's um, that has been my because it's interesting, isn't it? Because everybody wants to work in academy football, right? Yeah. I mean, definitely that's when I started, and you know, it's almost you want to. Uh, you, 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 you think it's still difficult recruiting staff or just recruiting the right staff? Yeah, um, naturally, you don't really know the person until they're in, and sometimes that can 
be a little bit too late, you know, because um, in the interview process, people come across very differently. You find out a lot about people when, you know, they're in the building. Um, we go through a lot of recommendations, a lot of references. So, like I said, we've got relationships with, we've got relationships with coaching companies and, you know, when we have coaches leave us and go to other clubs, we tend to have very good relationships with them. You know, people who, who, who I'd, I'd like to think people who work with us look back at their time fondly with us so they recommend anyone they know that's up and coming to us. So recommendations and references is a, is a massive part of getting through the, the mess, so to speak, you know. Um, it always helps when someone you know well recommends someone. Um, yeah, and we do get a lot of applicants, as we said. I tend to try and meet as many people as possible because I think, you know, people want opportunities and, you know, there are some good people out there. Um, but yeah, as, as you can imagine, you, you get a lot of varied characters, so it, it can be quite, yeah, it can be quite a battle. Do you think that because football is is known for being a little bit nepotistic, you yeah. know, so as you got your role through someone's recommended you. Yeah, my roles came from working the way up and you know almost relationships. I mean, why do you think that is? I mean, you mentioned it before. I mean, what is, what is you know, what's what's problematic with having the wrong sort of character in an environment like this? Um, it's good to have different characters, um, but ultimately we're all here for the same reason, right? So um, there's nothing wrong with having different characters, um, but some people are in it for themselves, as you can imagine. You know, so some people are very much open to the fact, look, I'm, I'm here. I don't expect to be here long. I'm using as, I'm using you as a stepping stone because I want to get to wherever. Um, and some people, yeah, the person, the player, isn't at the forefront of their delivery, their progress is at the forefront. So, you know, when I say challenging, I don't mean different. I think it's important to have different characters and different points of views, and I think that actually um, creates a very stimulating environment. But, yeah, you get a lot of people who, you know, in the most respectful way, they, they think they have all the answers, they think they know everything, and it can sometimes cause a disruptive environment. Um, I'm sure you've experienced it yourself, and, and there's been many examples of cases where you know things just haven't been the right fit, but for a club like us, you know we're smaller, we haven't got the most resources, we don't have the most contact time with the players, um, and so what what we do need is, is is a team of people who are pushing and pulling in the same direction, and it's important that you know especially from someone in, in my role where you have to manage and and, and oversee things, um, you need people who are going to come in and you know give it everything and, and attack attack the program and, and make sure no matter what happens that the player and their development is at the forefront of it all i suppose quite because it's quite a unique environment isn't it football it's very yeah. intense you everyone's working a lot of hours everyone's you know hands always on the pump yeah i suppose that's why it's important you have someone who can fit into the i mean i'm trying to think of reasons why you think why in the same as the club i've ever worked in why it's very rare you know someone comes from the outside without some sort of connection with the with the club first yeah um to be fair we, we, we probably have a lot of we probably recruit a lot of people who don't initially have a connection with the club because of our of our circumstance you know like i said you know we, in terms of wages and what we can offer and stuff you know we're a cat free academy so we're only going to attract a certain caliber of, of coach so to speak and they tend to be like i said at the beginning of their pathway which we hold no shame with um of course if you're a bigger club with bigger budgets and you have more freedom and, and more more scope then you can be a little bit more choosy around who you recruit um but yeah, you know, we have had more success and as much success with un probably underqualified coaches um, who are looking for a foot in the door, who get in the door, who get qualified, get badged up. But it's their personality that takes them there. And we've had as much success with, with, with those type of characters than people who have been experienced, been in the game a little while, probably have got the right badges. But like I said, I'm probably in it for the wrong reasons. So then tell us a little bit about your recruitment process. What does that look like in practice and what you're looking for for someone, a candidate? Um, personality and character is the most important thing. You know, if, if, if people want to come in, they want to learn, they're open to learning, you know, of course they're going to contribute and their voice is going to be heard. But people who come in and, and, and have a growth mindset, who have the player's best intentions at the forefront of, of everything they do and want to give everything, you know, that for us goes a long way. Um, naturally, they, you know, you need certain qualifications to work in the academy, um, but I think qualifications can sometimes cloud, cloud a person or, or cloud a character. So it's important we try and get to know the person as much as possible. And yeah, we usually go through 
recommendations, references, that's the most important thing. Um, my job, and it's continuously going, I've got to try and establish better relationships with more coaching companies and more grassroots clubs. So if there is any young, exciting talent out there, so that you know I can potentially recruit them, just the same way we'd look to recruit players. That's an ongoing process. Um, and when they're in the door, just trying to match their skill set with the role that we feel will be best suited for their skill set. You know, we, we try and pair them up with someone who's been in the academy for a little while, someone who understands the process, just so they get the support they need. Um, but yeah, we, we, our coaches come from various backgrounds. So to give an example, we've just, we had someone come in and he asked to volunteer his time for the, uh, with us. So, you know, I, I'm never against anyone learning or anyone developing. So I said, yeah, of course, come in. Sent him the schedule like I do with, um, I've done it with a few people. And you get to you get to, um, you get get to to test and get to see how true people are to the word. So he's come in and said, look, I want to volunteer. And two months later, he's, he's still in volunteering. You know, he's not had a day off. He's in three or four times a week. And it just so happens a role came up. Now, because he's committed his time and he showed us the dedication and, you know, the, the want to get better and develop, we got to know him, we got to build a relationship, and opportunities um, came up and we offered it to him, you know, he was qualified, he'd worked previously in Spain, um, so he, he bring a little, a different angle to our programme, which is something, like I said, we, we encourage, but he, already, he had already showed us the traits we wanted of someone who we want in, um, whereas, you know, some people come and, you know, can I come and watch sessions and, you know, I, I want to do this, I want to do that, you give them an opportunity, and because, it's, you know, it's a voluntary role or, or because it's off their own back, they're not as committed as, as they say they're going to be, which, like I said, you go back to the personality and the character, it goes a long way. I suppose then that's really important, right? Because as we both know, even working part-time is a big commitment. There's a lot of stuff that goes in, not just on the pitch, on the grass, but all around that as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, people are very shocked um, when they... I, I don't think people fully understand the role of academy coach. So I think people think you just turn up, you coach, you go home, you plan your session. And trust me, that is only... You know, that's, that's not even 20% of it. You know, that, that there's... So just to give an example, any academy coach knows about PMA, you know, so that's the, it's an online portal where everything needs to be logged, um, player targets, session evaluation, session planning, minutes, injuries, every, absolutely everything needs to go in there. And that takes up quite a big chunk of time. Every six weeks, the boys are set new targets and evaluated on previous targets. So there's a reporting system in place, again, that goes that that takes up a lot of time and you know it's, it's something that we push and pride ourselves on because with targets in place it adds a bit of clarity to the players to know where they want to go or where they need to go and where they have been so you know that that, that takes up a, a, a massive part of our um time yeah there's relationships with schools making sure boys are on top of um, school work if boys aren't on top of school work you know following that up so there's so many f things and so many responsibilities outside of the on-pitch stuff that goes with being an academy coach. So, you know, it's, it's yeah, I, I think unless you're in it, you kind of, it's kind of hard to explain to someone what it's like. But, yeah, it, it is non-stop. And then tell us a bit about how you, how you go about developing coaches once they're in. What's that process like? Yeah, so it depends where they are on, so, you know, the... the, the it depends where they are on their um, coaching pathway. So qualifications is quite a simple one. So you know you might have someone who's coming, coming. They've got their B, but they might they haven't been through the youth modules yet. So I'll make sure they get support through the youth modules. Um, the youth modules over the last few years have been there's been a massive drive from the FA because it's age specific and you know it, it gives you a lot of good content and good knowledge in terms of the day to day delivery. So it's, there's qualifications, some people need to do their youth modules, there might be someone on the verge of needing to do their A um, or whatever that may be. And then once they remove us, it's quite similar to a player development pathway. So a coach is in, my role is to assess the coaches and see if they're coaching the way the academy like them to coach. Um, so I'll assess the coaches, I'll sit down with coaches, go through their session plans, go through their evaluations, and then we will set targets with them. Um, naturally, People are, uh, c coaches are, uh, uh, what's the word? Coaches want to get better and they are uh, a product of habit. So it's, it can be very difficult sometimes to get a coach to understand habits he may have and habits he may need to change to improve performance. So I will watch a coach over a period of time, I'll give him feedback. I've also got a performance analysis who will 
film coaches and we will sit back and watch the footage and off the back of the footage and evaluations we will set targets around the coach whether that be around intervention time session design whether that be around um, utilizing his assistants that can range from a different different range of things and it's all about trying to maximize his performance on his sessions and making sure the players are getting what they need so tell us a bit about you said you know making sure they coach the way the club wants to coach yeah. tell us a little about that what are those expectations and um, detail it changes so it changes for the phases so with the foundation phase we're very much big on ball rolling time so having a high amount of ball rolling time making sure the interventions are short and snappy but are very clear so that the players understand what's expected of them um, we ask, we try and get coaches to sit down and of course you've got an overriding topic for your session but we try and make sure they hit every player's individual targets within that so you know whether it be using your weaker foot or, or um, looking to play forward so we ask coaches and that's, that's part of my role as well just to try and add the layers of making sure that each session is planned with the individual player at the forefront um, whilst also trying to achieve the, the overriding topic. In the, in the youth phase, you step into youth phase, you know, things change slightly a little bit. Um, you know, you've you got the under-15s, for example, who they're preparing for the floodgate cup and, you know, results to, to some degree become a little bit more part of their programme. So what we ask coaches to do and how we ask them to coach can range from, from age group to age group. One thing we've probably been guilty of in the past is trying to make everyone coach the same. And I think that was kind of led and guided by the HLP. But we've looked back and thought, well, you know, you can get everyone to coach the same. You can get everyone to try and achieve X amount of ball rolling time or, or X amount of interventions. But ultimately, every boy is different. So it, it changes. Um, but the most important thing is that the players are getting individual development within their team sessions. Players are very clear on what's expected of them. And within that, over a course of time, players are getting a varied, um, varied type of coaching to, to adhere to the different types of learners. And tell us a bit about practically, practically then, if I'm a coach and I'm preparing a session, how, you know, for instance, in the youth development phase, yeah. is there a tact technical tactical cycle? Is there certain things I need to cover each session or how does that work? How much freedom does a coach have in terms of delivery? We're currently going through the process of redesigning our programme, um, which is quite a big project in itself. Um, we, our curriculum is broken up into six week blocks and what we've probably been guilty of before is being led by the blocks. So previously you'd have a topic title and you'd work on it for a set amount of time but we looked at that and said well that's not, not only is that not football but it's not applicable to all. So over, a, so uh, yeah our curriculum is chunked up into six week blocks and over the week we try and make sure each coach and each age group works on the different phases of the game, so in, out and transitions. Alongside that, whilst the head coach might be looking at in possession, for example, we're very much big on counter coaching. So the assistant would work on coaching against the coach. So just to make sure, because, you know, the football isn't, yes, you can be in possession, but you're also going to be out and there will be a transitional state. That is, that is the flow of football. So we try and make sure... Our two age group coaches have always got a very clear role on who's doing what. So if the head coach is working in possession, the, um, the, the assistant might be working out possession, and it won't be coach versus coach, but it's just making sure whilst team A is looking to play out from the back, for example, team B also have targets. We might be pressing from the front or you know, looking to drop in and, and set traps. Um, and that works over a six week period, but weekly, each age group covers each phase of the game. Um, we don't work on one phase for a period of time. It's, it's session by session. However, we, like I said, with the review and, and the planning process, we're very big on making sure you review what you've done to make sure the boys understand and their learning has been embedded to, to move forward with the new target. So what is that six week, go through those six week, that six week, six week cycle each week? What do you mean? Sorry? So the so your tactical cycle, you said it's a six week cycle. Yeah, so there's, you've got an overriding tactical theme. So, um, so give us an example. So our four, our, the, our four principal plays are making play predictable, which is out possession, um, high tempo effective football, which is in possession. And then you've got your two transitional phases, which is counter attack and aggressive press. So each, so on a Monday, on a Monday, use a 16th example, 
on a Monday, they might be working on high tempo effective football in the middle third, so building that play from the defensive third into the middle third, now you're looking to break into attacking third. So that's on your Monday. On your Tuesday, we would work on aggressive press because if, if you go from being in possession and you've just lost it, your first initial reaction should be to try and win it back. So on the Tuesday, we might be working on aggressive press. We've just lost it in the middle third and how does that affect what we've done previously? And um, then going into your Thursday, we would work on making play predictable. So you're on the ball, you've lost the ball, you're now out of possession. So we just keep flowing it, you know, mm. so it's in, lost, out, one in lost out so we just you know that, that is the continuous thing um ha however the coaches do have freedom within that to they have freedom within the framework to go off topic if they feel it's applicable for the team and for the boys because you know every boy's needs and every team's needs are different i think um you know now i'm in my role more it's good, to, you need a curriculum, you need guidance, but at the same time, you don't want to be guided by the curriculum because it can be a little bit false at times. So we try and upskill our coaches and give our skills, to, um, our coach the power and, and the knowledge to understand who needs what, where, and then they've got the freedom to plan around it. Interesting. And so tell us a little bit about going, starting with the foundation phase. Yeah. The boys come in at nine. Tell us what that looks like. You know, what's their sort of experience? What's the methodology and philosophy around the foundation phase? In the foundation phase, we want them on the ball. Um, we don't work on transitions in the foundation phase. In the foundation phase, we work on, we work on being on the ball and losing the ball. Um, so when you're on the ball, can we be exciting? We try and produce, we try and develop all our players to play off two feet. We, they play in various positions, so they get different experiences and different pitches. And our only off the ball tactical theme is when you lost it, can you go and get it again? So when you're on it, enjoy it, be creative, be brave, be confident. And when you lose it, go and get it back, it's your ball. So it's very much just about just being on the ball, enjoying it and just trying to get those technical fundamentals in. And is, is the week broken up for those guys? Is there different themes for each night? Yeah. Um, or that evening? Similar, or so for foundation, from the foundation phase, they'll have three sessions a week, but two of those sessions will be focused on being on the ball and one being off the ball because we feel, you know, that's where you get your fundamentals in and that's where you get your, you know, your habits in. So two of the three sessions will be about being on the ball and then one session will be about when you lost the ball, can you go and get it back? But again, just to um, coincide and support that, the assistant coach will have a role around making sure if team A is working on the ball and being brave, he's making sure you know boys are pressing and maybe covering and, and going and get that ball back. So it just kind of drives competition, drives intensity and hopefully makes the overall quality better. And give us an example of what like an under nine session might look like a typical one and one of the evenings. Um, so on a Tuesday, we have a technical night on a Tuesday. So Tuesday is very much guided by the curriculum and it is just basically different scenarios, different um, challenges for the boys. So we've got our 1v1s, we've got protecting and shielding, we've got ball striking, we've got um, receiving on the different types of pressures, and then we've got just combining and scoring. So on a Tuesday, the practices are all set up and the boys will work through that circuit. Um, and yeah, it's just about being on the ball, being creative. On a Thursday, going back to what I said, you know, the curriculum then comes into play and I'll be about, you know, just being, um, so you, the boys will come in, they'll probably start off with a ball each or a ball between two 1v1s, depending on the night. And it'd just be about being on the ball, enjoying it, being confident, combining, um, getting as many touches as possible. And then as the session progresses, depending on what the tactical theme is, um, the coach will then put on a session based around what the theme is. So, so it might be um, playing out for the back or combining to finish. Um, we're very much big on just keeping it nice and simple with the youngsters. So it's just, can we create, can we finish? Um, create as an individual, create as a team. And when you're in the attacking areas, can you finish? Um, and that will usually follow, they, those two topic types probably, um, they follow each other, like I said, before the third session of the, of the, of the program, so to speak, uh, would be about, come on, you've lost it, just getting that intensity and that aggression of going to get it back. And then uh, tell us about the, like, the playing you know, come to the game on the weekend. Yeah. What's the, you know, how do you approach that with the foundation phase? Um, we, it's a good question. And I think, like I said, we're currently in a, we've been in the process of looking at our programme and evaluating it. And I think we've been guided by, you know, the EHLP and other little bits. And we've looked at the programme and thought, well, is this right for us or are we just doing it to tick a box? So on a game day, I think, what we've looked at is every age group and their needs and the individual needs are within that are, are different. 
um, we are very clear on the type of players we have and the type of players we're going to recruit and we feel where we can get gains is in the psychological and the physical area. So we're very much big on boys adhering themselves to the culture of the club, um, you know, and making sure they represent those characteristics when they play. So tell us about those. So Wimbledon, you know, if you go back years, um, well, if you go back to AFC Wimbledon in 2002, with the situation that happened with, um, with, with, with the other club, you know, we obviously Wimbledon was told that it was never gonna, never gonna happen, never gonna form, forget about it. And you know, it took a group of people with drive, determination, and a dream, to to keep this club going or get this club going. Um, which then, 10, 11 years later, saw us back in the football league. So it's that never die, never say die attitude that has got us to where we, where we are. If you go back to the old Wimbledon, you know, Wimbledon FC always punched above its weight. You go back to the nineteen eighty eight Cup final where they beat Liverpool who are probably the equivalent of Man City at the moment. So this club has always been um, built on overachieving, never knowing when it's, you know, when, when it's down and almost embracing the underdog story. And those are, th that culture and that environment, we really try and educate the boys on when they're in the building. So when they go out on a Sunday, you know, that mentality and that resilience and, and, and those mental characteristics, that, that's, you know, we, we push them massively in the boys. So of course we want the boys to be creative and technical and you know skillful and confident everything yes but we the, over the years we've looked back and looked at all the boys who have made it to the first team or who have made it from us into other clubs you know because we've sold them and one constant trait they all have is is, is the mentality you know that that usually separates the, the the good from the very good so we're very big on that here so with the foundation phase you know, we want to be creative. We want to. We want to be confident. You know, we want boys to express themselves, but we also pride ourselves on you know keeping clean sheets and trying to be very difficult to beat. And what we want is for clubs to turn around, and look at the fixture list, and go, "Oh, we're playing Wimbledon this weekend," and know they're going to be in for a tough game. And you know, we don't we don't shy away from that. It's quite interesting, that, isn't it? Because as we both know, players at all level need yeah. those sorts of traits, don't they? Yeah, that sort of. Desire and intensity. What so, do you use any other strategies to try and reinforce that with the young players um, in games? Our, it's, it's kind of difficult to explain. I think you kind of got to be in it to to understand it. But every day, we you know we look to educate boys in different ways. So we got Mark Robinson, for example, with the under 18s. It's probably a bit easier with the under 18s because they're full time. But he's very much he's very big on you know making sure boys outside of the academy. Are reading, are educating themselves, are never stop developing, um, and ultimately their, their their success or lack of success isn't going to be guided by what we give them as coaches, but it's what they do themselves. You know, we don't get them enough hours and we don't get them enough time of the day to to give them what they need to need to have. So, yeah, we're very much big on doing stuff when they're away from us um you know um we upskill them in terms of whether it's them reading whether it's them understanding and, and embracing the culture of the club and we we're very clear and honest with them about what you know the challenges and the hurdles that they face to get to where they want to get to and also in, in the most respectful way you know where they are and who they're with and what they actually have and we use it as a, as, as a positive so i'll give an example so we've got an ethos called winners do more now winners do more can be quite mistranslated that you know you never stop and you always um you know you always overdo things but it's, it's not that at all it's making sure that you're always doing something to support your development and that never stops and it's not a coincidence that anyone who ever achieves anything is always doing something so if you come down to our game on a sunday um, you will know an academy side has won because afterwards they'll be running. Now, where that came from is, you know, we sat down and we looked at, a, a couple of years ago, Kante won the Premiership for Leicester, won the Premiership for, for Chelsea. And when people talk about skills, they talk about 1v1s, or they talk about being able to beat a player in pit top corner. And we looked at Kante and what Kante, his skill set was he never stopped running. He, he, he physically... He never stopped, but there comes a time when physical becomes mental, you know, and there's a time when you want to stop, but then do you stop or don't you stop? That separates the, you know, the, that separates the good from the very good. And he just didn't stop running. And we looked at it and said, that's a skill. And if you go back to traditionally, physical 
punishment or physical exercises were usually used as a punishment for when you was late to training or when you never done something. So we looked and said, no, we want to try and flip that. So what we do is when a team loses um, in training, traditionally, they're probably going for an extra lap or they've got to do an extra you know, 20 press-ups. And we said, well, why, why are those boys getting developed in that area when, when in fact the winners should be getting it? So when we tried to introduce this, this method into the academy, we were told, look, it's not going to happen, you're not going to have to flip it. So if, you, if a team wins in training, they will go around for an extra lap. Or if a team wins in training, they'll go down and do you know, like 50 press-ups, for example, and the boys that lost will pit away the balls and pit away the equipment. And the spin on it is, you've won, you've done, you know, you, you've achieved X, Y, Z, so therefore we will give you extra development time in, in that physical corner. So on a Sunday, you come down, if you see our boys running, it usually means they've, they've won the game of football. Whereas, like I said, traditionally, if they'd lost a game of football, a coach would have said, you know, you don't work hard enough, go around and, and, and do laps. And, you know, we've completely flipped on its head. And when we first introduced it, like I said, some people, you know, uh, quite a lot of people said you won't be able to do it. But it got to the stage when we did introduce it that we had boys losing, asking us to run. Um, and it became a bit of a thing and it, it drove competition. And, you know, when we say winning, of course, winning on a Sunday, you know, the result plays a part and you know, winning does matter. But when, when we say winning, we don't mean winning a game of football, we mean winning in life. So, you know, if, if you've got a target, what are you doing outside of us to achieve those targets? If you're doing all you can to achieve those targets and you're putting the time in, then you're winning. You know, if you've got a, a target at school that you need to try and achieve to get your grades up and you're attacking it, you're winning. So winning isn't winning per se, it's more an attitude and a mentality to want to be better all the time. And that's where winners do more comes from. Very interesting. And then tell us a little bit about then the playing philosophy. If I'm going to watch your nines play or the 11s or, yeah. for instance, what, what sort of football am I going to be looking to see? Um, on the ball, uh, brave, creative, um, confident, expressive. Um, of course, it, it's, it's going to change through the ages, um, you know, so you won't get as much of a, a, a tactical team focus with, with the youngers. Um, but what we, like I said, out of possession, what I'd like to, what I'd like you to see, what I'd like to think you see, is an eagerness and a willingness to go and get the ball back and, and, and operate and work as a team. Um, we, we very much try and educate the boys. Look, this is your ball, so when you're on it, enjoy it. You know, can you do whatever you can do to have success? However, when you lose it, go and get it back. Um, so in possession, I'd, I'd like to think you'd see a, a team who who try and play football the right way. You'll see boys playing in varied positions. So you know, there's going to be an element of challenges around that but over a period of time we'd like to think the boys will be developing in the right ways but yeah when we lose the ball that eagerness and, and willingness to go and get it back work for the team and go and get it back as quick as possible to be back on it and so, so when you move into 11 v 11 tell us a little bit about that then when they get into the ydp yeah um very similar of course of course it comes a little bit more tactical um and you, you know you do have different challenges with your 13s who who may have at 12s played nine aside so those challenges, you know, can be seen, and we try and make sure the boys are supported with their transition into eleven-a-side football. Um, it does become a little bit more about the team, and naturally, you are up against boys who are physically more developed than yourselves potentially. So maybe in, you could get away with bad, not bad habits, but at the twelves, you might be able to press and have success because the boy you're up against can't can't beat a press with a pass. Whereas as you work up through the um, age groups, it becomes a little bit more tactical because someone might have the ability to, to receive it and play in behind, just an example. So we try and support the boys more so around their positions and, and what, what is needed to get them to where they want to get to. So like I said, last night I was working with the defenders and whereas previously they might have had been able to have a lot of success at defending from the front, um, they might have to be aware, aware now, look, yes, you want to be on the front foot and, and you know, looking to support the press, but you're going to have to make sure you know, you're positioned to enable you to support, um, you know, potentially defend the ball in from behind, um, you know, defend first, second balls potentially. So it becomes a little bit more about positions um, in, in, in the youth phase. But I'd like to think the characteristics, whether you see the 9s or 18s, will be the same, and that's in possession. We try and play football the right way. Um, you go back to the old Wimbledon, I think they had a style of football that was related to Wimbledon and there's a place for that. We don't develop 
Um, we, we don't try and develop boys to play that way, but at the same time, we do understand that there is a place for that. Um, so we are very varied in our in our style. But off the ball, I'd like you to look at. Um, I'd like you to see. I'd like to think you see hungerness and willingness from individuals and from teams to, to go and get the ball back as quickly as possible to get back on it. And what's, what formation do you play? As? We we're not stick. We're not held by formations. Um, you know, what does the future game look like? So. We, we feel we'd be doing the boys a disservice if they had to play one formation throughout. So if it depends on the characteristics of the of the boys, and it obviously depends on the development needs of the boys. Um, you know, if I'm a centre back and I've always had a full back beside me and a centre back beside me, well then you know I'm going to be very. Uh, I, I might not have experienced enough having to you know defend in the channels, for example. So we change we change formations. You know, we might play a three five two, four four two. Four two three one four three three. It, it, it ranges from the boys' needs and the boys, um, yeah, and, and, and the team's needs basically. So who makes that decision? Um, the the phase coaches. So it'd be Rob and Joe who look after the phase phases. You know, we sit down every four weeks or so and we discuss the progress of each team and each each individual. And we look and go right. Okay, for the next four weeks, this team might play three four three, for example. Um, yeah, so it changes, but we we don't we aren't guided by formations. Interesting. And tell us a little bit about your recruitment um, strategy. I mean, yeah. talk, you mentioned you sort of touched on it a bit earlier. Yeah. You know, what sort of players are you looking for? What sort of players can come in? You know. Um, we look for learners. We look for boys who have the potential to be good learners. You know, because boys who, like we, we, we don't get the boys in for we have X amount of contact time. <coughs> um, so what they do away from us is going to determine massively how well they progress or don't. Um, fundamentally, we good. We need good movers. We need good athletes, so we look for um, athletic capabilities. Um, and then when they're in with us, again, very similar to coaching, you know, we, we, look, for the, we look for the personality and we look for the type of, um, boy, is he gonna come in and is he gonna contribute to our, our programme and is he gonna thrive in our programme? Naturally, you know, if they're gonna come in, they're gonna need a, a, a level of technical ability, you know, um, but at the same time, we're very much aware of the, of the development needs of most of the boys we're going to get in. So we just look for, are they good movers, are they athletes, and if they've got the potential to be good learners. And then tell us a little bit about then, um, you should mention their contact time. So what is the contact time? So the foundation phase come in three times a week? Yeah, and they train four and a half hours a week. So hour and a half session, three times a week, plus the game on a Sunday. In the youth phase, it goes up to six hours. So three, two hour sessions, plus the game on a Sunday. Um, the 16s get a little bit more, because they're on day release, so they get seven hours a week. And then obviously you've got the 18s who are in probably comes up to like 10, 12 hours a week. So then, on the pitch. so so they basically the only incre- so the end daily only starts at U16. That's it. At at 15s. 15s. So we have a combined age group at 16s. So our 15s join our 16s, and our 15s join our daily program as part of that. So then, so how, they'll come on what? How one day off? One day so, off? So um, it's not really a day. So we have agreements in. Um, we have agreements with all the boys' schools that on the Thursday they will be released half a day or just a little bit over um, half a day to come in with us. So they get an extra hour with us. So our day release program is four to seven on a Thursday, um, and the agreements with the schools will vary dependent on where the boys' schools are located. So some boys will leave school just after lunch. Some boys might leave um, school the session after lunch. It depends, but yes, it's not day release. It's it's, it's more just like a little hybrid model. Interesting. And so look, look we're, we're sitting here in um, southwest London, in this nice leafy suburb, literally next door to Fulham's academy t- training ground, well, the, where they play the games, the, the foundation phase plays the games in, the, in Saturday Sundays, and obviously Chelsea's around the corner. Yeah. What's it like What is it like being sandwiched between these two juggernauts of uh, academy yeah. football? Um, yeah, it can be difficult, as you can imagine. Um, we do, we heavily recruit at pre-academy, um, you know, and we try and I wouldn't say sell but we try and show the programme that the boys would be receiving if they chose a club like us um, you know we, we haven't got all the bells and whistles but what we have got is good people you know we haven't got a lot in terms of resources and environment but we feel we've got a good environment and we feel we put the player and the person at the forefront of everything so we try and you know sell that and we have had boys in the past who have turned down bigger clubs to 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 develop with us, um, but London's massive, you know, the, London's massive, so as much as there is a lot more competition, there's also a lot more players and a lot more boys, um, so in terms of quality, naturally we're not, we're not going to be, 
we're not probably going to be people's first choice, um, even though in some cases we are. But we are confident enough that whoever we do recruit and whoever does join us, with our programme, you know, they will leave our programme, we'd like to think, with being developed in other areas that some other clubs might overlook. Um, and, you know, when you're getting boys into the first team and when you have success stories of boys moving on, you know, word gets round and, you know, people do start to question, well, you know, if, if I go to Wimbledon, do I have more chance of having a career than if I joined, you know, a, another club? And in some cases, you know, you do have people making those decisions. So I suppose what you're talking about is the pathway into the first team here being a little bit more tangible than yeah. other clubs. Yeah. So give us a couple of examples of that, with recent um, successes. Well, we've got a new manager on board um, and he came in, in in December and he's thrown in a lot of our youngsters. So in our last match day, I think we had four start at the weekend. Um, so we've got Paul Kalambayi, he's centre-back, he's 19. I think that was his sixth or seventh first team game this season. All of them have come since the new gap has come in. We've got Will Nightingale, who's a little bit older. He's been in the first team for a little, um, for four or five years. He's 22, 23. Um, but he's been, he, he, his career's been hit by injuries a little bit. Um, but he's up to about the 60, 60 appearances mark. We've got Anthony Hartigan, who made his debut at 17 last year. So he's just turned 19. He's up to about 45 games. I mean, you have Toby Sibic, who he played right wing back at the weekend, and he's he's up around the 10 game mark. So we had four boys in the last starting 11 at the weekend, um, and we've got a few boys around that. Not only that, you know, we've had a few boys in the past who have gone on. Um, some haven't actually made their first team appearances, but they've been in around the first team squad and then been sold on. So you've got Will Mannion, who played for he plays he's current, England's current under 19 goalkeeper. We sold him to Hull City two years ago. Um, Joseph Bursic, who's currently at Stoke City, he won the um, European Championships with, with, with the national side and um, finished runners up with the World Cup. So he's at Stoke. Um, and below that, we you know we do have and we have had boys move on to other clubs in the age groups below. And then, what is your relationship like with Fulham and Chelsea? Do you have a relationship with those guys? Yeah, or? we have a good relationship with them. Um, you know, we play each other quite a lot. Um, I think they appreciate and, and, and understand um, the benefits of having games against us because we will give them a different challenge maybe than what they're used to um, which goes back to you know the, the psychological characteristics we try and develop in our boys but in terms of relationships you no know, we have very good relationships with with, with Chelsea with, with Fulham um, you know we're not necessarily a threat to them in, in, in some aspects because you know but would you say maybe they're a threat threat to you so you know you play them they're going to you know maybe try and take your better players Potentially, but you know we have good relationships with them. So anything that is done like that is all above above board. You know, it, um, yeah, and not being rude, a, a club like Chelsea, you know, they they know every boy in, in in the country. So you know, there's no point in us trying to hide what we have. Um, but we have good relationships with them. That has, that has been built over the years, and everything's above 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 board. So there's no real threat around us. You know, being trying to hire players or anything. They know every boy in the country, as an example. I suppose that's the inevitability of academy football, right? It's just like the big fish, little fish, you know, the, uh, the yeah. you know, there's always, you know, someone above you who's looking to, to take the players anyway. Yeah, and it's, you know, and it's no different from us, probably grassroots clubs, you know, there's a lot of grassroots clubs who, who are doing good things and recruitment in academy football, as we did to earlier, is, is, is massive. So, you know, everyone's trying to tap into the next little gem. Um, and it's not necessarily us going in and, and, and you know throwing your weight around, but if you've got good relationships with people and good relationships with clubs, that goes a long way when it comes to you know when it comes to having these conversations. Interesting. And then tell us about a little bit about yourself. Your own. What do you do to develop yourself? How do you keep fresh? And you know? um, I'm quite fortunate that my role is linked to a development program. Um, so, like I said, every couple of months we go away. Um, and we are exposed to new experiences and exposed to um, new knowledge and and so I've my, my personal CPD and my personal development over the last 18 months has gone through the roof um, you know I've been I, I've been fortunate enough to be placed around good people um, and in good learning situations so you know that's a massive plus for myself not only that I'm currently on the um, advanced youth award with um, the FA which is a great youth award um, in terms of you know being specific around who you're working with um, and out of all the courses that I've done over the last few years with the with UEFA or with the FA it's one of the better ones so you know 
I'm quite fortunate that I've got something attached to my role and not only that because of my role I do find it I, I think it's my responsibility to always try and you know practice what I preach you know so you know, I, I can't ask coaches to develop and I can't ask coaches to step outside their comfort zone and, and, and be willing to do new things unless I'm willing to do it so um, you know I, I, whether, whether it's CPDs whether it's seminars whether it's talks and stuff I try and do as much as I possibly can just to keep you know keep developing and keep growing can you give us an example of some of these things that you mean you, you do? Um, so, the, so I had a coaching role. Um, so last month we was up in the Brecons, up in Wales, um, and that was about operating under pressure. So, are you able to manage and lead under pressure? So we were basically there's 18 of us in total. So 18 other heads of coaches in the country um, were in my group. And so you, 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 dro you drove up to the Welsh mountains and they put you in a, um, in, in, a, in a situation where you knew the next day you were going to be woken up at a time. You didn't, know, you didn't know what time it was and you would just have to fend for yourself. So you was given rations for the day. You knew you was going to be outside up in the mountains. Um, but when it was all going to kick off, you had no idea. So the next day... At 5 a.m., smoke bombs come in, sirens are going off, bang, we're all up, we're out. So at 10 past 5 in the morning, you're, you're in a tent, freezing cold, you know, army suit up, um, you've got your rations on your back, and you, you, you have no idea what the next 24 hours are going to bring. And what we had to do that day was um, we had to plan an assault of some court, you know, so they gave us a situation, a scenario, and we had to plan an assault. We had to... Um, else we had to navigate ourselves down the mountain in in the pitch black in the snow so you know none of us are very good at map reading or anything so we had to navigate ourselves down the mountain and throughout the day there were just continuous challenges thrown at us and we were being assessed on how well we led and how well we managed in those situations and although it might not be um a, a direct replica of the problems we we face in our role the whole point of it is look you're outside your comfort zone you know are you going to attack it or are you going to step back? Um, so that's just one example. You go back a few months ago, we was up at the Lake District, very similar situation, up at the Lake, Lake District. Um, you know, we were abseiling down mountains, we were in caves, having to navigate ourselves through caves um, where we were told, you know, there were bats and stuff. But you, yeah, it's just con continuously the unknown. And yeah, it's just, it's just about continuously being outside your comfort zone and when it's all kicking off and when it's all firing off, just being able to keep a cool head so that you can you know, go through and attack your challenges appropriately instead of losing your head. Interesting. And what about sort of, you know, um, tactical developments or tactical you know, themes you're seeing in the modern game? I mean, yeah. it's, for instance, you know, did you watch the Classico the other night? Are you looking at that thinking, oh, that's interesting, you know, as a, the way you're approaching teams or can you switch off and look at it just as a fan? Um, it's quite difficult. No, I, I find it quite difficult to switch off and look at it like a fan, um, even though sometimes it, you, you want to do that. Um, are, you, are you asking about the development in that in those areas? Well, I'm just interested to think. You know, do you watch you know games like you know from La Liga or anything? Oh, that's an interesting thing. You yeah. Know, look, for instance, the way they're approaching it is that something I can actually bring into the academy here? You know, that sort of thing. Yeah, of course. Yeah, um, and those conversations and those thoughts are always have have happening. Um, but at the same time, I, I think we've got to understand we are, I work in a development role, you know, and I'm here to develop. So even though at that level, it's about performance and a result. Um, it's about, it's not necessarily about me seeing something and trying to transmit it back to here at the academy. But it's definitely, it's about, it's definitely about you know potentially planting those seeds with the boys so that if they come across these scenarios or come across these situations in the future, because we never know what the future game is going to look like, um, that they're able to. You know they're able to problem solve and they're able to think on their feet, which goes back to you know you asked the question about um, formations. We're not we're not guided by formations because the future games will look very different. You know the the needs and and the the, the needs of the future player. It, it's you know the game's probably going to get quicker. It's going to get more tactical. You're going to be up against more skillful players. So the more different situations and always we can place boys in. Hopefully you know when, when their time comes, they're able to problem solve. They're able to um, you know lead themselves, take responsibility and perform. So, um, yeah, always looking at new ways and, and new things to bring to the academy, definitely. But also with the mind that that's for, that potentially is for performance and that's for results. Whereas we are developing, you know, and, and it always needs to be about the long-term aim for the players and not just a short-term fix.
Interesting. And then what about uh, any advice you'd have for like a young up-and-coming coach who wants to, you know, get to a head of coaching role in an academy like yourself? Just keep developing. Um, you know, development never stops. Um, you know, whether that's going to watch other coaches coach, whether that's putting yourself in, in, in situations where you might have to travel, but yet, you, you know, you're being exposed to different environments. Just don't, just don't stop learning. You know, I'm, I'm a bit fortunate that I can, you know, I, I, I can access certain courses and access certain, you know, in certain learning opportunities that others might not. But at the same time, that is not an excuse not to learn. So to give you another example, you know, um, 12 months ago, I went, I went down to watch Eddie Jones coach, you know, and I'm fortunate enough to watch Eddie Jones, but at the same time, that's still rugby. I never went there as a rugby fan. I went there as a coach watching a coach. And like I said, you know, I, I get coached all the time. I'm approached all the time of people who want to come in and watch sessions and want to see how you do things. And yeah, just put yourself out there. Keep learning, keep keep developing. Of course, you need to go through your qualifications to get um, to progress in this game. But if, if that's the only way you're going to develop and if that's the only way you're going to um, progress, then you're probably going to move along very slowly. You know, there's no reason why you can't put yourself out there and, and go to watch other coaches. And it might not necessarily be at the academy level, it might be at a non-league first team level, it might be at a grassroots, you know, there might be a grassroots team down the road doing well, um, who you might see as a rival, but spin it on its head. If, if, if they're doing well and they're doing good things, go and put yourself out there and, and see what they're doing because, you know, the more you can develop and the more you can grow, the more chance you've got of progressing. And so we sort of touched on earlier, what about, you know, someone who wants to make that first step into academy football, what's your advice to those guys? Um, we are guided, you know, academies are guided by who they can and can't employ by the formal qualifications. So, so that, what's the formal qualifications? Um, UA for B is a minimal, yeah. um, in, a, in a cat three and above. So you need to be a UA for B and I understand that's not um, accessible to all. Um, but yeah, you have to get badged up. That is part of it. You know, I've been there myself to, to get my foot in the door. I had to get badged up. And I think even though some people see it as a hurdle, it's a hurdle you decide to cross or you don't. You know, and if you don't, if, if you don't decide to cross it, well, then that probably says a lot. So, you know, you, you do have to get your formal qualifications in. Um, but that doesn't mean that is the only way you develop and, and learn. Like I, I suppose people will know that, you know, what's that cause of action? Should I send you my CV or... Come knocking on the door. How can I, you know, make that first initial action? Yeah, um, I'm always like I said. I'm, you know, I never say no to anyone in terms of people wanting to learn and people want opportunities to come in and see, you know, an environment. So yeah, if 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 they, I know some clubs and some people aren't as open as myself, um, but if people want to come in and see more of what we do, by all means, contact me. But understand to get employed or to get your foot in the door you you will need your formal qualifications and what about yourself what's your own aspirations in the game um that changes you know um if, if, if you asked me a few years ago I, I would have probably been very clear and directive and said i'd like to you know be a first team manager and work in the first team to some capacity i'm not saying i don't um but i do understand there's so much more to learn um so that when that if and when the opportunity does come you know you're ready so, um, you know, I want to continue developing. I want to potentially learn, well, I say potentially, I need to learn new languages if, 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 if I'm going to get as far as I can in this game. Um, and at some, at some stage, I'd like to think I would be involved in a first team level at, at, at some level. Um, however, I do enjoy working with players who are developing. Um, so, yeah, if, if you ask me where I want to end up, I probably haven't got an answer for you right now, but all I do know is that, you know, I, I need to keep getting better, keep progressing and, and give myself a good chance of, of succeeding in whatever it is I, I do decide to do. Because at the moment your, your role's more, you know, coach ed mm. rather than actually on the grass, isn't it? Do you, yeah. do you visit yourself moving back into actual, you know, working with players or just, just you know? I, 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 yeah, no, I, I, do, I do work with players and I make sure of that, I make sure I'm out on the grass because fundamentally that's what our programme's about, you know. You I mean, it's interesting because I speak to a lot of coaching uh, head of coaching, as you know, you know, you're very busy. There's a lot of administration. You've got the PMA. You've mm. got the coaches, so you're obviously not maybe getting that time on the grass that you probably like, or you know, yeah. you would have been accustomed to previously. So I mean, that's almost like a bit of a, you know, you're making that compromise because obviously this role means do you see yourself maybe moving back into more actual coaching in the future. Would you like to do that? Definitely, yeah. Um, you know, I, I'd be lying to you if I don't, if, if I said I don't miss 
you know, preparing a team for the weekend and working with players day to day. I try and make sure I do it as much as possible, like I said, you know. And one thing my role has enabled me to do is work across the age groups. Whereas before, I was just with the 12s and 16s. Now, you know, I could be with the 7s one day and I could be with the 16s, 18s another day. So, you know, it's been good to revisit um, different age groups and, you know, see good coaches coach. But ultimately, whether it's coaches or players, it's, it's still coaching, you know. So even though before, as a coach, I may have been formally coaching the players, I'm still coaching people at the, t at the end of the day, you know, I'm still trying to take people from A to B. So it looks very different. It's not something I envisioned myself doing a few years ago. Um, but when the role came up, I thought, you know what? Okay, didn't think I'd be interested in this, but you know, it, it's slightly outside my comfort zone, and it could be a good, great learning opportunity. Um, and I've, I've I've really enjoyed it. But to answer your question directly, yeah, I, I I do miss, you know, being out on the grass, preparing teams. You know, for, there's nothing like preparing a team all week for the weekend. There's nothing like that at all. Michael, thanks very much for your time. Appreciate Thank you, so Much appreciated. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks for tuning in to the MyPersonalFootballCoach.com Soccer Player Development Podcast. MyPersonalFootballCoach.com's Dynamic Ball Mastery Program is the world's leading online individual technical training program, proven and developed at the highest level in the English Premier League. Sign up now to train like the pros and take your game to the next level. Master the ball, master the game.